Welcome to another episode of the Better Value, Better Business podcast. You are listening to Alex Stacey. I had been posting on LinkedIn recently about social norms, and then one of my connections asked, where do they come from? Which I didn't answer on that platform as it is quite a big subject. So in this episode, I'm going to to recap social norms and try and answer a bit more about why they occur. So let's dive in. You may have heard the term social norms or societal norms and wondered what it means. And if you are in business or an employer, you will need to be alert for changes in the social norms. This is a phenomenon whereby there is a society level agreement on how to behave in given situations. For instance, it is a norm to queue at a payment or service till, not to just push to the front of everyone else to get served. A new norm that has evolved recently is homeworking and holding meetings online. That has now become widely viewed as normal. A couple of years ago, there was a social norm to wear a face mask in a shop. Businesses that identify a new evolving social norm can benefit by developing new services to accommodate that, like Amazon did with online shopping. Why do they happen? Well, there is a need to belong to groups, and that's a powerful urge in human beings. It is so strong that sometimes people will subsume their own reasoning or wants and desires just to comply with a larger group's behaviours, thereby signalling belonging to that group. You can see football fans at a match who enter into a group identity. You can see they are dressed alike and make similar actions and usually cheer and sing together. And this is why we instinctively copy one another. In a sense, it is an infectious behaviour. And this is why getting a healthy leadership and business culture is so important straight away, because it is infectious. So one of the benefits with complying with social norms is that if you're going to accept the wisdom of crowds, you can save cognitive effort. You can save that hard work assessing every situation by just going along with what others do. There is also the risk factor of going it alone. You will be seen as an outsider. And if you turn out to be right and the group think turns out to be wrong, that won't increase the group's affection for you. Whereas if you just go along with the group's belief system, you will still be included in that group. Now, this is illustrated uh, in an extract from the book Three Men in a Boat by Jerome K. Jerome. And I'll read it. Who wants to be foretold the weather? It is bad enough when it comes without our having the misery of knowing about it beforehand. The prophet we like is the old man who, on a particularly gloomy looking morning of some day when we particularly want it to be fine, looks around the horizon with a particularly knowing eye and says, Oh no, sir, I think it will clear up all right. It will break all right enough, sir. Ah, he knows, we say as we wish him good morning and start off. Wonderful how these old fellows can tell. And we feel an affection for that man, which is not at all lessened by the circumstances of its not clearing up, but continuing to rain steadily all day. Ah well, we feel, he did his best. 
For the man that prophesies us bad weather, on the contrary, we entertain only bitter and revengeful thoughts. Going to clear up, do you think? We shout cheerily as we pass. Well, no, sir, I'm afraid it's settled down for the day, he replies, shaking his head. Stupid old fool, we mutter, what's he know about it? And if his portent proves correct, we come back feeling still more angry against him and with a vague notion that somehow or other he has had something to do with it. The challenge with social norms comes about when you need to modify people's behaviour. For instance, to improve the company culture or persuade people to use a new service a bit differently. People are habituated to one kind of pattern and they follow the culture setter, be that a personality in the work environment or an influencer without. So a social norm becomes a personal norm, a habit. Attracting attention to your new service or model is difficult because we know people don't notice things they aren't looking for. You need to be aware of it because if your product or service is outside of the norm, then you will need to appeal to other marketing persuasion techniques. For instance, an appeal to authority. And you will need to educate potential customers too. But you can utilise this behaviour in your business. You can use social proof through pictures and stories of people behaving in a way that you want. In hotels, guests are sometimes told that a large percentage of guests recycle their bathroom towels each day instead of daily laundering in order to save water. This has huge effects on towel recycling in hotels. Councils have been having success in getting people to recycle more regularly through the same method by publicising their neighbourhood's recycling statistics. That's if they're any good. So how can we overcome embedded norms? So I've said what these are But if you are in business and you need to recreate an entrenched behaviour, then you're going to need some other influences. One influence on people's behaviour is the effect of an outcome, which, if it is positive, then reinforces a behaviour pattern. People will need persuading to try it. Once they recognise there is a good outcome, that will persuade them to make the change more permanently. It must have been difficult to persuade the first person of the benefits of ice-cold water bathing. But now lots of people have seen the improvements to their well-being and they tell other people with great enthusiasm how wonderful the effects are. One of the biggest influences on people are those people they are very close to, such as a partner or family. That isn't necessarily accessible in a business environment. But organisations occasionally do organise events for their employees, partners and family to join in. This is an opportunity to make a good impression on their employees' significant influences. And one of the main skills of strong leaders is the ability to communicate vision and mission effectively. But also on the ground there is a need to identify who are the real culture leaders. It isn't always the managers. It might be someone completely different who shapes it. Those are the people that need to be persuaded first and others will naturally follow them. Another method is to use an authority expert figure 
to persuade people that the outcome will be better if they do or don't follow an action. One model for affecting change is COM-B, widely used in health scenarios, which recognises that people need capability, opportunity and motivation. So these are each areas to interrupt, reinforce and re-establish new patterns. Let's imagine if we wanted to stop people clapping after the performance of a play. So we could take away their capability. For instance, they could be holding an ice cream in each hand. We could remove the opportunity by making it unclear when the performance had ended. And removing the motivation, for instance, through bribes or creating a poor performance or educating them that clapping will spread a deadly disease. Services can be designed specifically to take capability, opportunity and motivation away. It is termed choice architecture and it can be used to impede you changing an action. Friction is purposely being introduced into the customer experience. It is removing capability to change. Thaler and Sunstein in their book Nudge comment that using choice architecture for bad purposes in online practices is termed dark patterns. Introducing friction, such as having lots of form filling to complete in order to access services you need, has had a new term coined. And this is termed sludge, as opposed to nudge. Get it? Many organisations make it easy to join and hard to leave. Personally, I recently cancelled a fitness membership and I had to go into the building, speak to the receptionist who gave me a slip of paper with the email and phone number of the person I had to write to. There was nothing on a website which said, unsubscribe, I don't want my membership anymore. There's no easy option. So that was a very different experience from joining up. So subscriber, beware. I have tacked off the subject of social norms slightly, uh, but that is because social norms are an important input into the choices people make. These choices include whether to do business with you or to become a loyal employee. I will just repeat from an earlier episode that choices are affected by social norms and personal norms, expectations of the outcomes based on previous outcomes experience, ease of use and usefulness and emotions. Somebody asked me where social norms came from, which I thought was a very good question. But this is a bit too huge a subject, so I have delved into instead a bit more research into the purpose of social norms and how they serve society. Why do we adopt them? I have come across a summary of the work of Ullman Margalit, who speculates how certain kinds of problems are resolved through the use of social norms. And it boils down to three problems that need to be solved in society. These problems are prisoners' dilemmas, coordination and inequality. I'll deal with the first one, the prisoner's dilemma. This is a game theory thought experiment involving two suspects of a crime who are arrested 
but there is insufficient evidence to convict them, and the police are relying on one of them to rat the other one out. They are separated, so they cannot cooperate for mutual benefit, but they have the option to betray the other one, which will then let the one off who did the talking. They therefore have to guess how the other person will behave. Obviously, mutual cooperation would yield a greater net reward as neither would get a prison sentence, but they are unable to confer. Margalit gives examples of these dilemmas, like whether to pay one's income tax, to vote in a general election, or cut through a neighbour's well-tended lawn. What would be your considerations to choosing what to do in these instances? Wouldn't you think about whether there are likely sanctions? You might then ask, what if everyone did that, and decide that it would be best to keep to the norm for the good of society? The second problem is coordination norms. These are simpler because the interests of the parties coincide. So this can be the acceptance of legal tender or driving on the left or right of the road. But in a novel coordination problem, bottom-up development of norms isn't possible, so here an authority figure is useful. In the sense that for individual conformists, the goal is to meet others in their choices, can we imagine a society which was composed entirely of conformists whose members think that conformity matters more than anything else, thus raising the question whether any decision isn't just about coordination? Conforming is exerted through social pressure, through tools such as ostracism, avoidance and perceived contempt. It is the anticipation of its power by would-be norm violators that gives it its strength. The third problem is that of inequality. There is a phenomenon of adaptive preferences by which disadvantaged people end up preferring their circumstances and do not rebel against them. If prevailing norms support that inequality, you might not question them. You might even end up accepting them in part to reduce your cognitive dissonance. Alternatively, you might choose to be silent, not because you accept your ed status, but simply because of reputational and other sanctions associated with rebellion. That brings me to the end of this podcast, and I hope you have found it as interesting as I did researching it. And if you want to find out more about what I do at AS Insights, you can find out at my website at as-insights.com. Thank you for listening. <music>